Mother Earth is psychedelic. Her body is covered with psychoactive, sacred medicine. Can psychedelics help us become more conscious and loving parents, partners, lovers, and leaders? Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, the Psychedelic Mom, a mother and entrepreneur partnering with Mother Earth's sacred plant medicines to heal, awaken, and learn to live in alignment to my truth. Psychedelic literally means soul revealing. What reveals the soul to oneself is psychedelic. I invite you to join me in deep conversations with leaders, healers, seekers, and other parents. I will share my journey, the wisdom, practices, medicines, and mistakes that have changed my life, and personal stories of others on this wild path. We are the medicine needed to birth the more beautiful world we know is possible. Welcome to today's episode of the Psychedelic Mom podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, and I'm here today with Elizabeth Blake. How are you? I'm good. Well, it's good to see you today. Elizabeth, you are a spiritual teacher and a guide teaching inner alchemy and spiritual embodiment practices. And I know you've had this journey using plants, that you've really used plants to alchemize the inner landscape of yourself. So I invited you here today because I know you started with some psychoactive. You might have had even an experience just in a conversation with a plant to psychoactive plants to now working with the more subtle plants. So I'm so curious about this journey and this plant journey that you've had. How did you come to this path? What was kind of your first experience with a plant? As a teenager, I worked with psychedelic mushrooms, I guess in a less ceremonial kind of way. But very quickly on my path, I got interested in holistic health and natural healing. I studied holistic health in college. And I was studying Reiki, which is a subtle energy healing modality. And my professor told me, you can give Reiki to anything. You can give Reiki to the door that you can't get open or your houseplants, you know, like objects. And I was like, ooh, my houseplants. Cool. (laughs) So I um, went home and in my apartment in New York City, I gave this houseplant that I had Reiki. And I had this very profound experience where the energy was flowing through me towards this plant, right? And then suddenly I could feel that the energy fields of me and this plant merged as one energy field. And it was a very profound experience of oneness. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then quickly after that happened, some issue I was having at the time, some like internal tension or I don't know, drama I was dealing with. I can't even remember what it was now, but at the time it was big. At the time it was big. Yeah. You know, I was a kid in college, like whatever. Yeah, um, it came up in into the space and the plant reorganized the energy of this thing. And suddenly it was no longer a problem. And I was like, what just happened? (laughs) I really felt it. I felt the power of it, but I didn't have a context for understanding it. I had not yet drank ayahuasca. I didn't really have tangible understanding of the spirit realm. I was just beginning to understand chakras and energy. And I legit thought, I was like, oh my God, am I insane? (laughs) I'm a little scared. (laughs) But Something in me knew to trust it. I think what's amazing about that is there you are kind of giving Reiki to the plant and the plant gave you something back and the surprise of that and kind of the mystery, like what actually just happened. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was very mysterious and immediately I knew it was a great gift. I was like, this this plant just healed me and I wasn't even asking for it. I was giving something to it. And then I started researching and I discovered that there's this whole spectrum of what is called plant spirit medicine, plant spirit healing that isn't visionary plants. It's working with this, the spirit or the intelligence, the consciousness, the sorts of the plant. And I, I knew, I was like, well, I have access to that. That's, that's already there, you know? And I still commune with my plants in the garden and I speak to them and I connect. And yeah, so that was my first really like 
plant spirit experience. Amazing. And in some way, I think what you're saying is that you had this kind of experience going on in your mind, a struggle that you were struggling with, and somehow it had the ability to go in and let there be some sort of release around that struggle. Yeah, it it was almost like the plant mirrored something and brought me back to source, brought me back to balance and harmony. And it's not something that we as a collective attribute to a very wise plant, you know, it's like one you could get at Lowe's. But all of the plants have medicine, they have the wisdom of nature encoded into them. And it really supported me in that moment. You know, it's interesting, You just when you said that, it reminded me of when I came back from doing a medicine experience, it was with mushrooms, actually. And in the experience, the way I was held in this container with these healers around me in the journey. So this was a visionary journey. And about two weeks later, my daughter asked if I wanted to go to the plant store. And I was like, sure. And I'm just in the plant store. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I'm in the plant store. And I hear like, literally like from behind me, like, take me. And I was like, what? And I turn around and this plant's leaf was the exact way that this thing that I was in, in my visionary experience, I was in like this dome healing center and the shape of the leaf and the color of the leaf matched exactly that space. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that's wild. And I picked it up and I brought it to the man at the head of the store. It was a little tiny plant store. I said, what's the name of this? And he said the real name. And then he said, it's actually called Follow the Light. And I was like, of course it is. (laughs) And that's what this plant was. And it definitely came home with me. They're always speaking to us. It's just up to us to get still and be in a receptive space so we can receive that energy and really deeply listen. So you were kind of already on an alternative educational path. You were already called to healing arts. So after this mystical experience with this plant, you had already been kind of seeking a more holistic way of learning and healing. Where did that lead you? I was really seeking to heal myself initially. I had a lot of challenges in my teen years. I mean, now I know it's a whole tapestry of things, but my experience was that I was put on the pill at a very young age to regulate my cycle, which just made it way worse. And then I didn't menstruate for two years after I went off of it. So I had that going on. And then I also had, I guess, a candida issue in my in my gut and that causes all sorts of symptoms and in my college years I started suffering I got very sick I was suffering very deeply so I already had an interest in natural healing prior to really deeply experiencing symptoms but I had a number of experiences where I'd go to the doctors and it became very clear to me that the doctors were just making me worse and whatever they gave me didn't help and they would do things that just made absolutely no sense to me, even though I'm not an expert, but it was very basic stuff. So I started looking at food as medicine, plants, the subtle energy healing, the shamanic path. I studied Jungian psychology. I did a lot of community-based mental health support work in college. I did mind-body awareness studies. I had a really awesome education. And this was, this was all in, at university, and I studied Reiki. <laughs> Now, would you say that in college when you said you got sick, was that emotional, psychological, physical, all? What what were you experiencing? It was all of it. You know, I had some trauma or my, my core wound comes from my father not being very present and somewhat abandoning me to some degree as a child and not being kind to my mother and some very specific traumas that happened while I was in, in the womb. But... Then it was also physiological. It was also that I was given way too many antibiotics as a child and essentially poisoned, like for for lack of a more subtle way of saying it. And I mean, my mother did well feeding me, especially for the time, but I was born into a sensitive body and it all caught up with me at a pretty young age. 
So yeah, emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual in the sense that really all these things were calling me to deepen into my spiritual connection. You know, I wasn't fully awakened into that um, as a child, and these things brought me there. So they were all great gifts in the end. So what was the calling to go to receive ayahuasca? So that was really my gut and my candida situation. I was at in, in college at the time, and a bunch of my friends were... We had a consciousness club at NYU, and a lot of kids were talking about shamanism and expansion of consciousness and working with psychedelics to expand consciousness. And I got tapped into a scene that was talking about ayahuasca. And so I knew about it. It was, I I guess, a little scary, but also interesting. I was like, oh yeah, let's go to the jungle. Let's do this thing. And But the thing that really got me to my first ceremony, which I did just two months after I graduated college, was I was just in a massive flare-up of candida symptoms and was in a lot of pain. So I needed something. And a friend at the time told me this might help. And so what was it like? That first ceremony was a journey into the spirit of the candida in my gut, like the microbes that were actually causing me harm. And I met them on a spiritual level and felt their energy. And I was like, why are you here? (laughs) And they told me, we're a teacher. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. So what am I here to learn? And I learned how to better care for myself. I learned how to use food as medicine. I learned how to heal myself and go within for my healing rather than going running to a doctor all the time and seeking this external authority to guide me. And so for someone who doesn't know, what is candidas? It's a systemic yeast, a systemic yeast infection that stems from a disharmony or an imbalance of the ecosystem and in the gut and you know that spreads out to the body and i think for me on a physiological level the reason why i was suffering from this was because i was given an enormous amount of antibiotics as a child for ear infections and then as as a preteen for acne which i didn't even really have that badly um, I was on antibiotics every day for three years straight. Wow. Yeah. And then also was put on the pill. So, you know, I think there were emotional underlying energies there too, but on a physiological level, it was these drugs that didn't heal me, <laughs> didn't make me better. <laughs> and, you know, it kills up the antibiotics will kill off the healthy microbes. And then that creates an environment where the unhealthy microbes have a space to flourish and take hold. And then it moves through the body and it can affect the mind and the brain and the emotions. And I mean, some people get sinus infections, vaginal yeast infection. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of symptoms that can come from this one disharmony, imbalance. So after you had that experience and you met the candidas, did you feel their energy as a light energy or a dark energy? What did you feel? befriending you as teachers? Yeah, it felt swampy. I wouldn't say exactly light, but I guess sometimes the darkness is your greatest teacher. It felt swampy. It it felt thick and stagnant, but not malicious, not like demonic or something, not like, you know, and less became less scary when I was like, okay, this is happening for a divine purpose. This is not an accident and I'm going to learn what I'm here to learn and I'll be okay. (laughs) So I, I then went did a lot of cleansing. And what did you feel about ayahuasca? Was that a one and done or did you then begin to work with ayahuasca? So I was drawn in. I was like, okay, that was amazing. You know, I awakened to my inner realm in a way that I hadn't felt before or made contact with really. And I went and I did two more ceremonies. And it was in that third ceremony where I really met the spirit of ayahuasca. I met her as a being. And I knew immediately this is my teacher. I'm going to the jungle. I'm learning from her. 
And I also knew in that ceremony that the group that I was sitting with, I could see dynamics that were at play there that for me were not in alignment. And I was like, okay. So in the same moment, I'm like, I'm never sitting with these people again, (laughs) but this is my teacher. Like I could see the difference of the energies. So that was, and I was there within six months. (laughs) I love that you just follow your path, your intuition, that sensitivity that you have to even the subtle things that are happening in your realm, picking up on them. And so six months later, you head to the jungle. And how long were you there? Well, I the first time I was there for a month, and actually I, I got there because a friend who was building a retreat center with a group of people, he said, we need someone to do the cooking. And do you know someone? And I wrote him back. I was like, it's me. (laughs) I didn't have experience as a professional chef yet, but I had a deep interest in food and especially healing foods. And it was a a realm I was very comfortable with. And so I just said, it's me. (laughs) Let's go. And I got hired for the job. And I went down there, had this really profound experience, learned a lot, learned a lot about the dark side of shamanism at that place. Well, what would you say about the dark side of shamanism? Let's talk about that a little bit. What did you learn? Oh, whoa. At first that it exists because I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at the time and just like, okay, this is great. Let's do spirit healing work. But yeah, I got I caught a glimpse into how these these powers can be used to manipulate and to harm and for the person serving the plants to have an energy of actually taking taking energy from the people that he's supposedly serving right i saw i saw all of that and i mean ultimately i that energy that was very present and i saw manifested in horrible ways at this place years later. Someone died there. And so I I saw that exist and I started to sort of understand a little bit of how that energy worked, I guess. I mean, I never went into it. I didn't have an interest in studying it, but more just to learn how to identify it and then steer clear of it. I wasn't even going to drink this guy's medicine because I already had a weird vibe just from just from looking at his picture. Um, before traveling there, I'm like, ooh, I don't really feel called to drink that medicine. But I really wanted to go to the jungle and I really wanted the job. I wanted to get to Peru. And so I went. And then the night before the retreat started, they said, this is your last chance, you know, before you have to get to work to cook for the, you know, for the people who are coming for the retreat. And I was like, oh. And then I got this message, drink this medicine, you will be protected. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I have divine guidance here and protection. So I went and I did it and I learned something I needed to learn, I guess. Do you remember what the teaching was? The teaching was basically about the dark side of shamanism. It was that this is happening, that this is an all love and light, that you have to be discerning and that whatever that voice that said, drink this medicine, you will be protected, showed me that I have my own direct connection that will guide me and that I can trust that. Those were all very important lessons. Yeah, especially going into healing work, to be able to see that a healer or a shaman can actually be misaligned and be kind of drawing the energy out, knowing that you were going to be heading, maybe you at the time didn't even know that you were going to be heading into healing work. So what would you say, as far as ayahuasca taught you in general, what were the greatest teachings? Oh, my God. The teachings are so infinite. Okay, well, can I share about another experience that I had? Yes, definitely. Many years later, working with a group here and that are good friends of mine that I love so much, my prayer for that night was to study the art and science of manifestation and co-creation. And I think that was one of the best ayahuasca experiences I ever had. So say that prayer again. To study the art and science of manifestation and co-creation. And I had the most crystalline visionary experience of, 
feel like really opening up into the dimensions of the cosmos and started to understand time and space and how energy comes into material form and things come into being as we know them in this reality. And, And I was very much in the presence of gods and goddesses, like the logoic creators of our reality. And I journeyed into the keepers of time. I saw like the consciousness that organizes this illusion of time that we experience. (laughs) That was dope. Wow. Yeah, that was one of my favorites because I had actually in college, my final thesis project was we had to do what's called a colloquium, which is where you read 25 books and then you you synthesize the information on one topic and then you speak with three of your favorite professors for three hours. And mine was alchemy, the relationship between consciousness and matter. And and here you are. <laughs> yeah, like I read all these books and I was, you know, immersed in this and I'm like, this is it, this is the thing, this is like the most important thing. <laughs> but there was something more visceral and tangible and felt sense of that ayahuasca experience of really understanding that, that I didn't get from the books. What a gift to experience that, to meet the keeper of time, the very consciousness that goes from nothingness to form. Pretty profound. It's it's so interesting to chart your path, to look at the first little plant, the candidas, the ayahuasca journey, what you learned there, what you were learning at school. And now here you are this many years later teaching people how to alchemize, alchemize themselves in a spiritual evolution through prayer and plant. And so how long were you kind of using the kind of heavier dosed earth medicines, psychoactive plants? I started in 2008, and I went through, I guess maybe in about 2018, I stopped drinking ayahuasca as frequently. I put it down for a while. I did a dieta, I guess it was 2018, I did a dieta in Peru, and and then I knew, and I didn't know why, I was just really being... I don't want to do this anymore. I did this dieta and, you know, where you go into isolation in the jungle and you eat a very restricted diet and you're in silence and you're drinking plants that are not visionary plants. They're medicinal jungle plants. And you're then going to ayahuasca ceremonies. And I loved being in my little tambo. I loved being in isolation. I loved drinking these plants. I was communing with these plants. I was deeply understanding their energetics and their medicine and their spirit, how they work. And I just didn't want to go to the ceremony. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, well, I have to listen to this. I, I trust the divine guidance. There's always something greater here that I don't fully understand necessarily and, and that I'm here to trust. So I, after that, I put it down for a little while and then I went to Bali, and that's when my I had my big opening with Blue Lotus. And then I did go back to drinking some medicine a little bit after that, but in the last few years, and working with mushrooms. But yeah, my I don't want to say breakup because ayahuasca is forever with me. She's encoded into my cellular matrix and my spirit, and I feel like she's still a guiding force in the cosmic earthen council of beings that are guiding me and all of those teachings that I received for those many you know 12 13 years are with me forever so but you know this time where I've put this down and opened up more into the subtle realms and working with plants that aren't so intense in the way that they hit your body So tell me a little bit about Bali and Blue Lotus. For someone who doesn't know what Blue Lotus is and the energy of this plant, let's talk a little bit about Blue Lotus and how it came into your life. Well, actually, I had been working with it in in a little bit of ways. I used to make cacao for groups and events and rituals and things. And the guy who I was with at the time gifted me this little tiny bottle of Blue Lotus essential oil. And Blue Lotus essential oil is very, true, 
like steam distilled essential oil is very rare and very expensive. It's one of those where the two milliliters, $175, <laughs> so good. Anyway, so I had that for years and I would sometimes add it to my cacao and, you know, I was beginning to tune, attune to the energy and feeling the call of this plant. And then... And blue lotus is a flower. So blue lotus is a flower. Its origins come from ancient Egypt. And if you look closely at the ancient Egyptian iconography and symbology and you, you understand how they depict a blue lotus, you'll start to notice that it's like kind of plastered all over many of the temples and all of their spaces. It's like woven into the fabric of their spiritual culture and their perhaps more mundane culture. And it becomes very clear that this was an important energy for these ancient people. And I feel like we still don't fully understand as a collective what they were really doing with it. But it's a very high frequency, subtle plant. Um, many people say that rose is the highest frequency flower there is. And I think blue lotus may be in, in that rose is of the heart energy and blue lotus is of the third eye. So it's a lighter frequency as you ascend the chakras. So it's very third eye. It's used a lot in uh, lucid dreaming and awakening intuition. Is it a psychoactive flower? Yes, mildly. It has, it has some compounds that are known to be psychoactive, but it's not like if you drink a cup of blue lotus, you may feel, you feel an altered state, but it's nothing like taking two grams of psilocybin mushrooms, you know, where like the walls start moving and... Would it almost feel like microdosing? It may, yeah. You could compare it to that. I think, you know, for people who are more attuned to the subtle realms and have a more openness in their energy to receive uh, the medicine of a plant, to receive the wisdom of a plant, to have a felt sense, then it can feel very powerful. It is very powerful in its subtlety. Um, for people who may be more blocked or dense or just haven't yet awakened their attunement to the subtle realms or their, their even the, the depth of their senses, then it might not really be that obvious. So how are you currently working with Blue Lotus and how would you suggest to somebody to build a relationship with this plant and what does it have to do with alchemy? Yeah, so I had this really rough breakup and my whole life sort of felt like it unraveled. And I, a friend of mine brought me to Bali, which was such a beautiful blessing. And when I was there, I started to realize and, and deepen into this alchemical moment in my life where I realized that my inner masculine energy was weak. And that was being mirrored to me in the relationships and the people in my life. And I started praying because I was suffering very deeply. Like I broke my toe and I lost the place where I was living. You know, it's like one of those just kind of break it all apart to then reorganize and to al alchemize, you know. <laughs> when I was there in Bali, suddenly alone, and alone with a broken toe and just like... <gasps> Um, and I, a heartbreak, heart, heart shattering, but really breakthrough, heart awakening, but in the part that felt really painful. <laughs> yeah. And I'd cry, you know, I just like cried to the, like the, in the deepest depths of my soul, just like, <sighs> and, and through that surrendering and praying, I was praying to the goddess, to the cosmic mother, to the, the divine mother and for guidance and help. And, I had Mother Mary come to me and she said, work with Blue Lotus. And this was simultaneously, I had started doing these prayers of learning how to, and inner, inner alchemy of learning how to erect my inner masculine. And through my femininity, nourishing my inner masculine, erecting this pillar strength energy within me. So it was kind of this whole tapestry of guided divine energies that were emerging through me simultaneously. And so she said, 
work with Blue Lotus. And then I realized that Blue Lotus was everywhere. <laughs> I didn't realize that this flower, this purple flower that was in the pond by the hotel and at the cafe and all over Bali was the sacred Blue Lotus <laughs> flower that I had already met in my essential oil bottle. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And then a week later, I was having... <laughs> I'm in like blue lotus land. Yeah, it was so exciting. And I, I had lunch with a woman I had just met and we were, you know, befriending each other. And at the end of the lunch, she's like, oh, I do blue lotus ceremonies. And I was like, what? <laughs> this is exactly what I'm being guided to do. So it just... I, it was all very clear. Like, I'm being guided. This is my path, you know. And... So I did her ceremony and I started connecting and working with this plant. And now it's been years of working with this plant. The way that it has expressed and communicated to me and the teachings that I have received are a lot about harmonizing our inner masculine and feminine energies. So in this realm, we live in a realm of duality and these things are manifested and created through the polar forces and that we have these polar forces within us and that in many people these polar energies are not in devotion to one another they're not working harmoniously with one another and i was carrying some of that disharmonious imprinting from you know the challenges of my family and from living in this world and all the all the stories right and Blue Lotus taught me a series of practices to harmonize these energetics and of masculine and feminine, masculine energy being an ascension energy rising and a feminine energy being a descension energy softening. So it's very simple. It's like the polar up and down, you know, and, and then how these energies start to work together once they're balanced through loving devotion and being in service to one another, then they start to harmonize into a, a field of oneness. So I've learned through the Blue Lotus about sacred polarity of masculine and feminine energies within, and then how that man how you can work with that consciously to manifest harmony in your life. And I've opened up into a much deeper understanding of the oneness of all things. And everything I just said, I feel is just a basic principle encoded within alchemical practices. Is there a practice that you could share with us now that would be a simple practice that we could go into for a second and a way to alchemize the masculine and feminine harmony within ourselves? I'll give like the super cliff note version because when I teach this in my program, it's very in-depth and it's woven into the tapestry of someone's life and all this stuff. And there's many layers and teachings, wisdom teachings encoded into it. But for now, I'll just give the basic principle. So should we like close our eyes and do a guided visualization? Mm -hmm. Maybe if you're listening, you just want to follow along and be guided in this. Uh, if you're here today, you know, take this as an invitation to take a moment to balance your masculine and feminine. Okay, great. Closing your eyes and feeling the presence of your body, bringing your attention inward. Focus your attention on your sit bones at the base of your spine. And now we're going to Erect our central channel, the pillar within, which is the energy channel that rises along the spine from your root to your crown. So now bring your attention from your sit bones, rising up the central channel, past the hips, past the ribs, into the heart, past the shoulders, and into the neck, through your jaw, and reaching the crown of your head. This is your central channel, your inner pillar, the rising masculine pillar strength energy within. 
So take a moment to feel that energy rise, lengthening your spine, feeling the strength. And then with that energy of strength and support, your erect pillar within, begin to soften the rest of your being around that pillar. So let your jaw relax and your shoulders drop. Your ribs soften, feeling the weight of your hips on the chair you're sitting on. So just to recap, feel that pillar energy rising at the center of your being within, and then let all soften and surrender to your pillar in deep trust. Take a deep breath, full belly breath to let that energy anchor and integrate. And you can open your eyes when you're ready. Beautiful. Thank you. That was so nice. It was so beautiful to feel like the light of that energy, the strength of it through the center pillar. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that's like a small taste that's normally when we start, we really do a lot of work with the central channel. We go all the way into the center of the earth, into the cosmos above. And, you know, that's the first, but because you said to understand the harmonies I took you like gave you a little piece of the first step and then a little piece of the second yeah so it's it's more dynamic when you go deep but that's a small taste so here this teacher blue lotus you've been working with for a while and it's teaching you about alchemy the masculine and the feminine and then you are also working with rose how did you uh not, I don't know, it's not even shift because you've included all of these medicines. They're all within you. But now you've included rose in a plant that you're really working with. So let's talk a little bit about the rose. So I feel that the blue lotus really guided me to the rose and or the divine intelligence that guided me through all of it. it there's this a seamless thread of connection. I feel this is what I've learned and how these plants have what they've taught me, that there's like a shared spiritual lineage that runs through the rose and the blue lotus. So in ancient Egypt, in the temples of Isis and Osiris, people were working with blue lotus and learning high tantric alchemy, inner alchemy, and working with sexual energy for creation and raising that energy into the higher chakras, which has to inherently move through the heart. And that's what makes it alchemy, because the heart is the master alchemist within. And through human history, that thread carried into working with the Essenes and the Magdalens, who were the the culture that Jesus was born into. And, you know, the alternative story, right? This is not what the, the church would teach, but the alternative narrative that resonates very deeply with me and my soul and my body is that these initiates, um, the Magdalens, were trained and initiated in the temples of Isis and Osiris, and they really landed these frequencies of the heart and blossomed that energy with the rose. So there's this thread, and for me, they work together in a very important way. So the rose carries the frequency of the heart. And when I teach the program with the rose, we focus like the the blue lotus work is focusing on the central channel and then ultimately the whole fields and all of the chakras. And then the rose is is like a deep dive study of just the heart chakra, the energy field of the heart. And 
Um, like I said, the heart is the master alchemist within. And all of our chakras have the ability, aspects of ourselves can be very like manipulated by outside forces, dominated and controlled and distorted, you know, like our sacral sexual chakra. It's very obvious in our culture how that can be so easily manipulated and distorted. In the third eye, like our minds can be so pushed away from truth, right? From source, God, goddess consciousness. And But the heart cannot be hacked. The heart can't be distorted. It always tells the truth. So working with the rose helps us. It, it supports and guides us into deepening in this relationship. And so the heart can be hacked, but the heart can have blockages. And it can have a lot of unprocessed energy and pain that people hold on to over time. And, you know, so that energy just doesn't flow. And for the heart to lived up to its fullest potential of being the master alchemist within, the energy has to flow. It has to move. We have to feel the unfelt feelings. And then once that energy fully awakens, then we have this very powerful transformational force living within us all the time that we can use for so many things. I mean, it's so fascinating too, just the history of all of this, right? The Essenes. And I loved studying the Essenes and knowing that like, you know, we have these hierarchy society here where largely it's been for many years been dominated by men and the Essenes were very equal when it came to masculine and feminine roles. And it also sounds like they invited in, it was multicultural, multi, it wasn't just one group. They invited people to go to their wisdom schools. And then I mean, Egypt in and of itself is so fascinating. And to think that all of these teachings are here now for all of us and they land right in our heart as the greatest alchemizer and that the plants are always speaking. It's so amazing. And then we have people like you on the planet that are more sensitive, that pick up on the subtleties, but also follow the little drops, follow the little seeds along the way to then get the deeper teachings to share with people. So how do you work with clients? Like, I'm like, oh, how do I sign up? I think if I look at myself, I think, oh, my masculine and feminine, I definitely have aspects of myself. I think my feminine side was very developed. My masculine side, not as much. Definitely since earth medicines and plant medicines, I've been working on that, but there's definitely some pieces. And just since my conversation with your partner, Stuart, just the awareness too of like the need to open the heart more. And so, yeah, how do you work with clients? So I have two programs and ideally people will do both because like I've been saying, there's this, they're all part of the same tapestry. And the first program is the harmonization work and we pray with the blue lotus. So I have tinctures it's not labeled, but I have a, a blue lotus and a rose tincture elixir that I make. And so we work with the body of the plant and the spirit of the plant. And we work with prayer. So a person would come, you know, if if the energetics of the blue lotus, the harmonization is sort of on theme for what their soul desires next in their life, then, then these plants and this program is very much in support. So people will come with their specific prayer. And I, I guess you can tell that I'm infusing some of Stuart's alchemy or prayer work. He's taught me so much about that. So it's it's now encoded into how I Yes, open. yes. I love that you guys are sharing. I was praying before he taught me about prayer, but he really taught me so much more. And so we we work with prayer in my program as well. So a person will come with a prayer and on theme, in resonance, in vibrational resonance to harmonizing masculine and feminine energies for creation, right? For awakening your creation and what you want to create in your life. And then we anchor the prayer in ritual through the practices. So it's some version of what I just shared, though it's kind of parceled out differently. But we do one practice and then we build on that. And then the practices build on each other and then they evolve over the arc of the experience. And the idea with the practices is that it's the stuff is happening on a you know psycho-emotional spiritual level, but it's it's also anchored in the physical body. 
right? So you learn to to have this awakened energy in your physicality. So when you're walking through the world in your day-to-day mundane life, you can vibrate that through your own matter (laughs) into this material world. That's why I call it spiritual embodiment. So we do the spiritual embodiment practices that it's like through the practice, you're giving your devotion to your prayer, right? That's how you're showing up and you're creating an energetic framework for your prayer to land and come to life. With the support of the plants, we always are in deep gratitude to these plants for their, their support. They support the energetic structure, the container of the prayer. They, they help hold the container. And then we journey through the arc. And then during the sessions, I'll do weekly sessions on the phone where I help the people integrate and process the energies that are arising. Because what often happens is it moves blockages, right? So it'll reveal things to yourself that you either need to let go or that you need to create more of or that it starts to show you how you can bring consciousness to co-create, consciously co-create yourself and your reality. So then we journey through the practice and then it completes with the practice of oneness for the blue lotus. And then with the rose, it's very similar. All the things with the plants, the, the plant and the prayer are the same. It's just we journey very much into heart intelligence and we do a lot of work harmonizing the energy fields of the heart and the mind because in our culture there's a lot of separation between those two aspects of self and when they start to come into deeper communication we can with our mind really deeply listen to the wisdom of our hearts then we're empowered with so much more soul aligned truth in who we are and what our purpose is here to do. So it becomes a guiding force. Gosh, just listening to you, you can feel the subtlety. Just in this conversation, I can feel like the subtlety of that spirit, you know, right there, always there, always communicating. And then when you're working with the blue lotus and the rose, just like any other plant medicine, I mean, ayahuasca shows you in a vision and continues to work with you after. But similarly, that these plants are speaking to you, it sounds like, and through your container, you're integrating, you're allowing people the space to move the blockages, or it's probably repressed emotions and grief that have to come up and get moved. And then the alchemy of uh, the masculine and feminine, and then that last piece of opening the heart. I mean, what a gift to actually be walking in the world embodied with the divine essence of yourself with a heart that is like open and to be balanced in your creative aspects and to be you said to me when I originally talked to you about coming on the show like I never imagined being able to like have the life that I have like you have in this path that you've created and listening and listening you have the very life that you probably dreamt of, which is amazing. It really is. I mean, I have more dreams, of course, and I'm still learning. I'm still deepening into embodying the fullness of my heart and studying the nuances and the subtlety, refining the study and practice of harmonizing masculine and feminine. It's like an infinite journey. But yeah, my life has become much more grounded and much more harmonious and the pathways to true creation have opened up for me in ways that I had a sense of and I would touch upon but it always seemed like I couldn't fully land it (laughs) you know I'm a very ethereal being and I'm a Libra airy you know and this is helping me learn how to spiritualize my mundane existence and bring the spirit realm. The spirit realm is already in the material world, but I'm enlivening that. Illuminating it in your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm curious, speaking of like your day-to-day life, because after talking to Stuart, I was thinking to myself, wow, he's really incredibly devotional, I would call it. Like, In that continual thank you to the plants, thank you to the elements, and deep conversation all the time. So how do you live your day-to-day life? Just how do you bring kind of the mystical into the practical, the spiritual into your day-to-day life? And I know it's probably there, so it's just like awakening to the awareness that it's there, but how do you make the time and practices 
or what are the subtle practices that you do every day that you feel like really ground you in keeping this alignment that you have? Yeah, it's really like just remembering that all this matter that surrounds us is God, (laughs) God consciousness (laughs) manifest. Um, So yeah, we have some devotional structured practices encoded into how we, we live. So meditation in the morning is one of the big ones. And within my meditation, I'll do some just clearing my mind, but then I'll do my practices. So I do what I teach every day because I know when I teach, I'm holding a field for other people to attune to. So the more awakened and act alive it is in me, then the easier it is for my clients and students to tap into it and feel it themselves. So I do my central channel practice. I do my oneness practice and, you know, whatever else I feel called to do in that day. So Stu is more, um, he's a little more rigid, I'd say. That's maybe not the right words because it sounds bad. Regimented? Regimented, yeah. He's And that is a more masculine trait, right? Like he's more like... Mm-hmm. Pum, 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 pum. And I'll... <laughs> and I do my prayers... You'll and, feel into it. Yeah. I mean, I am... I know I have to do my meditation in the morning and that's... There are certain aspects where I have to be very regimented, but I also... Like, it's like he does his practice and then he's like done with practice. I mean, he may be, I think now he's doing more weaving it throughout the day, but I'm really big on weaving throughout the day. So I do that meditation. Then I do my gratitude dance. Oh, <laughs> can we see it? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I have to get up maybe at the end. <laughs> um, but I'm like, I'm really from a physical perspective connecting and sort of spreading my gratitude energy around my space. It's not choreographed. I mean, I guess it's kind of cute, but it's like sort of dorky. I'm just like, and I thank you for the mountain. You know, that we have this beautiful view of the mountain and the sacred waters of this land and the garden for your beauty and your nourishment and the forest. And Stuart, I love you so much. Thank you for co-creating this life with me. You know, I have a thing and I go, and then it's, it's a general structure, but then I'll do what I feel that day, you know, whatever's coming through. My friends, our, all our teachers and guides and family, our dog, Raina. <laughs> I've always known this, but Stu really taught it to me is that you sort of turn on the technology of a plant's medicine and wisdom through gratitude. You turn on the nature with medicine teachings through your gratitude, and that is devotion. By, by expressing your gratitude, it's a devotional act. So that it's like turns on the technology. So to start our day with that and just remembering all the things that we're grateful for, even though there are things that we still desire, but it attunes us to the gratitude of what we have and and the beauty that is here. And it just sets your day in a good vibe. And and then you're more in the creation field, the manifestational fields, if you're attuned to that energy. So those two things are like more my my regimented stuff. And now sometimes we just started a devotional prayer where we're doing practice together. So we're doing that every day now. 11-minute meditation, yeah. They shift. Like, like we pray and we ask for guidance on, like, what a devotional prayer should be for us now to initiate us into the next level of our learning and teaching and growing. And so we just got that one a few days ago. Like, we're going to do 40 days of doing a heart coherence practice together. So that's that's one for the moment. So that's some more, like, structured stuff. But then, like I said, I love to just flow, which is more my feminine way with my gratitude practice and with my embodiment practices. What arises in the moment. Yes. It's like when I'm doing dishes and I'm like, oh, these dishes, stop. (laughs) You know, and then I'm like, okay, be grateful for this water. And I do water magic and I'm tuning into the water and praying into the water and the water's going down into the land and into our whole field here. And, um, and in the shower, too. I love doing water prayers in the shower. Like, Stu does his water prayer, like, there. He's very serious. And he's, like, it's very long, and it's, like, a big thing. And whereas I do my water prayer flowing through the day. Uh, I mean, sometimes I'll I, I will pray with a glass of water for sure. But for him, it's, like, very – so we do that. And then 
I garden and I cook. I cook with love. I feel the love moving through my heart and I put it in the food. I commune with the plants when I'm outside in the garden. We take our tincture elixirs and making essences too now. So we work with our the medicines that we make. And that's more of like when we feel too or for a specific prayer or something. And are you selling those? If somebody wanted to get tinctures, can they get them? Or yeah, I will sell and, them. I, you know, when I first started making them. Or is it mostly part of your program? Yeah, it's mostly part of my program. When I first started making them, I thought, oh, I'll make these elixirs. And then in my prayer and in my listening, I realized I'm like, these are not just products to mass produce and put on a shelf. This is, this is an invitation to commune with these divine beings and to learn a pathway to really create this devotional relationship with the plant and awaken to the subtleties of how plants work. And, you know, what I love about them is that anyone can do this, have this plant, have their prayer. It's very sovereign, right? I mean, to do an ayahuasca ceremony, you're dependent on someone who's bringing in the ayahuasca or you're traveling very far. And it's it's like there, for most people, has to be like an intermediary. And I'm here to teach people how to create these connections on their own. It's like prayer, plants, your heart, your soul, and the creator. And we all have that opportunity. So so I realized, okay, that that's actually how the, the programs were, were born. You know, it was like the bottle. I'm willing to sell it to people, especially if, you know, I know that they know how to pray with a plant. <laughs> how would someone sign up for your program? I have a website. It's called thealchemyof.com. And my email is on there. Or you can message me on Instagram, Liz Blake at, on Instagram. Like, so I know you do like one-on-one calls with somebody, but is part of your program in a group? And is there times where the group meets together to share their experiences that they're having in the arc of the program? I haven't done that yet, but I would really like to. It's part of the vision. Yeah. That'd be really fun. If I put a small group together, maybe... I'm just now, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share on your platform, but just now, I've been doing this work for a few years and deepening into it, but I haven't put the energy so much yet into promoting and really putting it out there in a bigger way. It's more of just been word of mouth, and so now is that time, and I think that will open up possibilities for groups, and that would be so great. Yeah, what you're doing is so needed. So I'm so happy to amplify your voice and the voices of Blue Lotus and the Rose and Ayahuasca and the work that you're doing with alchemy. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> I want to I wanna do it for sure. Yeah. Any other things that you would want to leave our audience with before we close up here? I said that the heart is the master alchemist within, right? <laughs> well... I mentioned it briefly just now, but I guess I'd like to highlight this a little more, is a lot of what we teach and the way that we pray with plants and connect to nature through the heart is about being sovereign in your spirituality and having your own connection and not needing the intermediary of a priest or a shaman or sort of outsourcing your connection to the divine. And I mean, we're here as teachers and guides to help people get on their path, but the tools that we offer are really about deepening into that connection with oneself. And I find that very liberating and inspiring and empowering to be able to be guided from within and trust the guidance that I receive from the infinite. And yeah. That's amazing and important and just that, I mean, kind of it's our birthright, right? It somehow gets lost along the way, but our birthright is to have this deep understanding of how this universe really works, what our heart is, what prayer is, the infinite is all around us, and not the need to go through somebody else to actually have this deep connection the clarity that comes with it, it's such, it is our birthright. And I know a lot of us are continuing to work toward that, you know, that deepening into it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, some people may choose to, to work 
connect through other people and, you know, religion or specific groups or whatever. And that's beautiful too. Like, I'm not here to say that that's not, not the way. There's so many ways and, you know, different souls have different paths. And I guess I'm here for the ones that feel called to this more sovereign way where we can awaken the medicine of nature that's all around us and within us and pray with the plants. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed today's show and want to help build a more beautiful, conscious, and loving world, please share this content with friends, family, and colleagues. You can follow this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. And I'd really appreciate you taking the time to write a review so that others can find these amazing conversations. And if you'd like to see a video version of the show, you can find me on YouTube. Feel free to reach out and connect with me at thepsychedelicmom.com or message me on Instagram at thepsychedelicmom. And remember, you are the medicine.